0: It's my joy to uh, have the opportunity to, to share and, and to preach these past, last Sunday and this Sunday. Uh, my name is, is John Muller. I'm one of the associate pastors here. Brad, our senior pastor, will be back in the pulpit next, next week, continuing uh, the uh, series in, in Galatians. We've been looking at just two pieces of the book of James. Genuine faith. Last week we look, we saw that genuine faith is tested by trial. Today, genuine faith is evidenced by works. You know, I like I like shrimp. I'm kind of like um, what was his name, Bubba on Forrest Gump. You know, that liked every kind of form of shrimp. You know, being from from Texas and growing up on the coast, there we we had good shrimp. They yeah, had good shrimp. My, my favorite was, is, well, was and still is, just the basic fried shrimp. Anybody like fried shrimp? Oh, yes. You know, and because it's Texas, you know, we didn't have these little shrimp. I mean, shrimp in Texas are big. If you go order shrimp, it's always jumbo shrimp. You know what I'm talking about? Jumbo shrimp. Jumbo means large. Shrimp means little. And it's kind of one of those, like, how in the world do we get jumbo and shrimp together? It's like this contradiction in words, but when you bring jumbo and shrimp together and you deep fry it, it is delicious. Another thing I like is chocolate and I like dark chocolate somewhere in the 65 to, to 75% dark. You know, when it, when it, how does that bittersweet taste yeah think about it how can something be bitter and then at the same time be sweet i don't know how it works but when you put bitter and sweet and chocolate together it is so so good how many of you hit the uh hit the after christmas sales anyone do that you know it's funny um Sometimes my, my wife will go out shopping, she'll come back and she'll bring in and she'll she'll wanna show me, Hey, look at this. Look at what I've what all I got. We saved fifty dollars. And I'll look at it, I say, Well, yeah, but we spent fifty dollars. No, yeah, but we, we did save fifty dollars with these things. I found some great deals, some great sales. Yeah, we spent fifty dollars. And we saved $50, a contradiction, yet both both true. Well, this morning we're going to look at one of the Bible's seemingly most contradictory statements. Brad has been preaching out of Galatians that faith is not dependent upon works. Saving faith is by, I mean, we are saved by faith alone. Well, today we're going to learn something a little different. It's not that Brad was wrong. It's not that Paul, in writing to the Galatians, are wrong. It's just that they're coming from maybe a different perspective. James writes, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Yet Paul seems to look at works and faith a bit differently. In Romans 3.28, he writes, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. And again, in Ephesians 3, 8 through 19, he writes, that's not right, Ephesians 2, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. When Paul is writing to to Titus, the one he was discipling and mentoring, he writes to him and says, God saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. It's not based on the, the deeds of righteousness on our works. It's, it's done in, in faith. It's a work that God alone has done. Well, so, so are James and Paul, are they, are they on opposite sides when it comes to the means of salvation? Which is it? Are we, are we saved? Are we justified? Are we made righteous by faith alone or by works or by some combination of works and faith? Or our text this morning will address these questions and compel us to a deeper trust and an, and an active obedience. And just real quick, let me give a little flyover background of the of, of James in the text. remember uh, James is the half brother of Jesus, not to be confused with the with the apostle uh, James, the disciple James, particularly we hear the, the the three peter James, and john this is this is not that James this is the half brother of Jesus he um, He was not a follower of Christ, wasn't a believer in his brother, didn't believe his brother was the Christ Messiah In fact, he thought he was kind of a crazy man, crazy man. But somewhere after the resurrection of Jesus and before his ascension, during those 40 days, he appears to James and he has a conversation. We don't have what's recorded there, but I'd love I cannot wait to get to heaven to hear what that conversation looked like. But whatever James, whatever Jesus said to James, everything changed in his life. He was radically transformed. He saw that Jesus wasn't just a half brother anymore. He was God's son. He was the Messiah. He was the savior of the world. He was Lord of all. In fact, so James when he opens up this letter, he identifies himself not as Jesus' half-brother, but as the bondservant, the slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. He would ultimately serve Christ and would even be martyred for his faith. We see also that James was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, and as persecution came strongly against the early Christians, most of whom were converted Jews, these, these new believers they scattered throughout the the known world. And James is writing to these dispersed Jewish Christians, encouraging them to to live out their faith. In fact, the letter is described by many scholars as one of the most practical books of the New Testament. James is describing in, in beautiful detail how genuine faith should manifest itself in the life of the believer. As I mentioned last Sunday, we, we looked at James' first call to genuine faith. Genuine faith is going to be tested by trial. Trials will come. It's not if, it's when. And he tells believers to consider it all joy when they experience trials of various kinds. We too will meet trials in our lives and we can find joy in them knowing that God is doing a work in us. He is making us complete More and more, like Jesus Christ, he's deepening our prayerfulness. He's bringing us into dependence upon Christ in the trials. And he's blessing and gifting us with the promise of eternal life. And now as we jump over into chapter 2, James is going to highlight genuine faith. This same genuine faith, but he's going to look at it from a little different angle. Genuine faith is evidenced by works. Let's read it together. If you have your, have your Bibles, turn to James chapter 2. If you didn't bring a Bible or you need, need to look on, that we have a few Bibles there in the rack in front of you. Page 1012. If you don't have a Bible and you need a Bible, we would, we would just encourage you to, to feel free to take one of those. We'd love, love to gift you with, that, with a Bible. James chapter 2, beginning verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Someone will say, well, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believed and they shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was, was not also Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. In this passage, James is he's building his case. He's gonna he's gonna lay it out before his readers that genuine faith must be evidenced by works. He's gonna bring before us seven pieces of evidence that demonstrate that faith without works is not a saving faith at all. So enter in exhibit A. Exhibit A. The quelling questions. Look back with me at verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? He he brings here now two rhetorical questions that quell or quiet to the clamor of of meaningless speech. It, It would be like me saying something like, all right, listen, all of you husbands out there, all of you married men, what good is it if you say you love your wife and yet... Never show or demonstrate it. Is that the kind of love in a covenant marriage? What about students? College students getting ready to go back to school here in another week or so. What good is it, students, if you say you're learning a lot, but you haven't passed a single exam? (laughs) What good is it? Well, notice here what, what James is doing. He's, first, he, he's talking about Christians when he says the word brothers. He uses this word brothers or my brothers 19 times here in these five chapters. He, he dearly loved these, uh, these, these Christians. He had spent time with them as their pastor. Now, as they scattered uh, up abroad, they were still deeply uh, upon his heart. He had a deep and dear affection for them. It's a pastor who loves his sheep. It's really important to, to note here in this verse that James is, what, he, what he's saying and, and really what he's not saying. The key word in, this, in the first question is, is say or claim. He writes, what good is it if someone says or claims to have faith without works? He doesn't, what he doesn't say, he says, what good is it if someone has faith? has faith without works. He's, he's, he's talking about the person who's claiming, hey, I, I, have, I have faith that, 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 that doesn't have works. If Someone's claiming to have genuine faith yet has no identifiable fruit or works in his life. He's saying, well, what good is that? What good is it? And this rhetorical question, as it's thrown out to his audience, the answer is, well, none. And the second question, he's, he's not talking about saving faith here. He's, he's talking about this inactive faith, this type of faith that doesn't work its way out. It has no evidence. He's talking about that kind of faith. James is asking, can inactive faith be a saving faith? And again, the rhetorical question, the answer is, well, no, it cannot. It cannot. We used to have some battery-operated candles. Here's one right here. We used to have them up on, the, up on the banister there in the back, and it has a little battery thing in the back. You turn it on, it kind of flickers. It, it looks like a candle, you know. It even has some kind of charred black stuff in there. But it's, it's, it's solid. It's plastic. It's just a fake. It's just a fake. It's just a facade. Now, if I said, uh, you know, if we if we lit this thing and I stuck my finger in there, I either I would either be kind of crazy or I would be a man that can endure a lot of pain. But because it's fake, I mean, we would assume that that fire gives off heat. It gives evidence that it's real. This this thing, it can light up and just kind of hold it. It's not it's not the real deal. Battery-operated candles and wax-burning candles are, I mean, they're two different things. And that's kind of the point that James is making here. That is the point. There's genuine faith that is saving faith, and there's an inactive faith that's actually an empty faith. Well, as the room is still quelled from these opening rhetorical questions, James enters in Exhibit B, present problem. Look again at verses 15 through 17. He says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed, lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And again, notice that he's, he's talking about Christians when he's using the word brother or sister. So this person These people that have needs, these are brothers and sisters. These are fellow Christians, believers in Christ. And remember, I just mentioned that these these new Christians, they're they're converted Jews. And and with the conversion uh, came persecution and isolation and rejection. Many uh, lost livelihoods. They lost their jobs. They lost friendships. And many of them lost family. Those kind of things still happen today in the world when people come to faith. They also experienced not just persecution and trial from within. They also experienced it from outside their own community. Christianity in that day was tolerated at best and despised at least. Many many Christians there in the early days found themselves uh, oftentimes destitute in great need. This is what's so beautiful as you read over in Acts chapter chapter 4. Those first days and months of the early church were, I mean, just truly supernatural. Scripture says that they were of one heart and one soul. They shared everything. Scripture says that there was not a needy person among them. Not a needy person among them. I mean, incredible. They shared everything in common. People... uh, gave sacrificially, selling lands, bringing it to the disciples' feet. And the disciples would disperse of those monies, caring for those who who had need. See, in the time of James, James is right. Remember, this is the first book of the New Testament. It's only about 10, 15 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The The church is is still in its infancy. Small groups of Christians would would maybe gather in, in homes scattered across the known world. Maybe, maybe uh, if, if there happened to be a synagogue in the area, they would, they would gather there. Sometimes, you know, even a small group of women would gather down by the, by the river. So James, he's describing... Really, a, a, a present problem. It's a real situation that the, when, he, when he says this, it's something that these these believers would probably experience. They would see it. They would know it firsthand. So here's this, a Christian brother or sister comes into the gathering. He or she uh, has an incredible, significant, very visible need. It's a man. Maybe his clothes are tattered and insufficient. He hasn't had a, a meal in several days yet you haven't experienced uh, the kind of trials that your fellow christian has had to endure and if you saw the obvious need and just kind of flippantly looked at the person as you were departing and hey ho- hope you have a great day hey be be warm be filled Live long and prosper. Yeah. James says that this kind of faith without any actionable response is no faith at all. And he even drives it home by saying that, that faith like this is, is just dead. It's like a corpse. John reiterates this point in his first epistle, his first letter. He writes in 1 John three seventeen. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? And the answer to that question is, it probably doesn't. Matthew 25, Jesus makes a strong point about helping the needy. When when we feed the hungry, when we give drink to the thirsty, when we welcome the stranger, When we clothe the naked, when we visit the sick or the imprisoned, we're actually serving and ministering to Jesus Christ himself. Jesus says, truly I say to you, as you do it to the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. So to turn our backs on those who have need in our body is to turn our backs on Jesus It's no faith at all. In fact, it's a dead faith. Well, James is just getting started. Now he enters in exhibit C. Exhibit C, the anemic argument. The anemic argument. Verse 18, someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works well because the original uh, language it didn't didn't use quotations we have them here in our in the esv but this this passage because there weren't any qu- quotations in the original language it, it's it's this is a very very difficult passage there's multiple interpretations and each one has has its difficulties i read various commentators uh, who are a lot smarter than me and they even disagree on on what what James is saying here. Let me, um, let me give you a few. And then, uh, and then I'll try to I'll share with you kind of where I lean. And I think it fits the text. Well, some believe that James is, is giving this argument and he's kind of setting up this dialogue from the perspective of one who's an ally with him. Somebody that's, that's coming and actually supporting what he believes so it goes something like this. Someone says, well, you have faith without works, but my faith, like James's faith, like what he's talking about, has both faith and works. I can actually show you my faith by my works. Now, you hear something like that, and you think, well, that, that makes sense. At first glance, it, it sounds right. But the problem is that James begins this, verse you know, verse 18, with the word, but it's a contrast. He's been making this case that, that faith without works is dead. But then he comes along with this contrasting argument. It's like, it's, it's like he's saying faith without works is dead, but if you don't have works with your faith, it's dead. It's like, wait a minute, that doesn't quite jive. Others believe the argument is is quite the opposite, that he's actually coming from the, uh, from the perspective of of an objector, somebody that's that's going to kind of bring a case against against James, the objector is speaking to James he might say something like, "James, you James claim to have real faith, and I claim to have real works. You can't demonstrate your faith, but I can show you my faith by my works." Well, th- this. This interpretation has some problems as well, particularly this objector. I mean, he seems to be kind of siding with James. I mean, he, he's, he's stepping alongside him here in the initial premise that faith without works is dead, but then he's objecting, so that doesn't quite jive either. I, I personally think it's best, and some of the commentators have, have uh, mentioned this, and I, I, think it, I think it fits the text it's best to think of this verse um, not as an ally or an objector, but rather as really two different points of view. One person says he has faith, and another person says he has works. He's putting faith in, in one corner of the ring and, and works in the other corner of the ring. And the, the argument is that faith and works can, can somehow be separated In my opinion, I think the ESV actually puts the quotation marks just right. We have two separate positions. You have faith. I have works. It's kind of like now presenting in the red corner, weighing in at 185 pounds, faith. And over here in the blue corner, we have weighing in also at 185 pounds, works. They're separated out and they're going to duke it out together. James steps in and says, well, this argument is ignemic. I mean, it just doesn't work. For faith and works, they cannot be separated. You can't, you can't put them in different corners. I mean, he, he even gives a challenge. He says, show, show me or demonstrate for me your faith without works. It can't be done. Genuine faith will be evidenced by works. Faith and works go hand in hand. He says, I'll show you my faith by my works. You'll see it being lived out in my life and you'll know this is genuine faith. James, here he is building his case. He's just getting started. Enter exhibit D, the false foundation, the false foundation. Look with me at verse 19. You believe that God is one and you do well. But even the demons believe and shudder. Here James draws upon a very familiar passage in, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 5. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might. This passage in, in the Jewish tradition is known as the Shema. That's a cool word, Shema. It was a foundational, fundamental foundation to all of Israelite. Every Christian Jew or every Jewish Christian would have memorized this passage. They would have probably recited it over and over and over, beginning at a young age, all probably all through their lives. The doctrine that there is only one true God, it was foundational for the Jewish faith and foundational for the, the Christian faith. A monotheistic, one true God. So James comes on and says, your faith is grounded in the belief of one true God. But, but then, he, then he throws this in. But the demons believe. They believe in one true God. And not only that, but they have a response. They actually shudder and tremble. They fear God still. Still, though, their faith is not a saving faith. Faith in a right foundation, they they had the right foundation, but without works, it's simply a false foundation. Faith without works is like the faith of a demon. It doesn't lead to saving faith. Exhibit E, James now, introduces a play on words to continue building his case. This exhibit B, I want to call it a powerful pun. It's a powerful pun. Verse 20. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? James here is he's still speaking of the person that wants to kind of separate faith out and from, from works, to put them in two different corners he's about to bring in the the overwhelming evidence here in the next exhibits but here he's addressing this person as, as foolish this word foolish it simply means um, empty or or shallow In where he's saying oh devoid and and shallow person do you do you want to be shown that faith without works is useless now this word play this this pun Powerful pun is is really found here in the last phrase of this of this uh, of this sentence, this verse. See the words "works" and "useless." If you go to the original language, they're they're very similar. They have about the same number of letters. They they sound very very similar. Ergon and argos. The words, the word for useless that he uses here means it 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 doesn't work or not working. So in other words, he, he says something like this. He, I mean, he's literally saying faith without works doesn't work. I mean, they would, they would get this. They're like, Whoa, faith without works just doesn't work. It's useless. It's, and then he's even kind of playing back on, on the foolishness. It's, it's void, empty. He's actually answering the question that he posed earlier. What good is it? Faith without works is no good. It has no value. It just doesn't work. The evidence is piling up. James is about to bring in his star witnesses. I mean, he's about to bring down the hammer. (laughs) I'm calling them the dynamic duo, exhibit F. James, he's throwing in the trump card here. Abraham, Abraham, every Jewish Christian would know every aspect of the story in life of Abraham. And he was the hero of the faith, the patriarch of, of, um, of the Isra- of the Israelites. But he doesn't just mention Abraham. He, he focuses in on one particular aspect of his, of his life, a very, very important aspect of his life. It's the willingness to sacrifice his his son, Isaac. Bobby read that to us earlier, the service. But look at what James gives attention to, beginning there in verse 21. James says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son, Isaac, on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that said, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. Now, here it's it's really important to understand the, the timeline of Abraham's life. Story of, of Abraham and, and Isaac is found in, in Genesis chapter 22. Yet if you if you go back to Genesis 15, this is The time before Isaac was even born and when Abraham was still known as Abram. God would later change his name to Abraham. So Abram, chapter 15. God's getting ready to to make a a covenant or a promise to Abram. He tells him that he's going to be, he's going to greatly reward him and basically meaning that God is going to make him into a great nation. Abraham takes the, the opportunity to remind God at that time, hey, I, you know, I don't have any offspring. I don't have any children. If you're going to make me into this great nation, I mean, I'm not sure how this is going to work. I don't have a son. But God told him that he would truly have a son. He promised him he would have a son. Then he, he brings him outside, told him to begin numbering the stars in the heavens, if he could. The Bible says in Genesis 15, verse 6. Abraham believed the Lord, and God counted it to him as righteousness. See, Abram had faith in God's promise. He believed him. God said, I'm gonna make you a great nation, I'm gonna give you a son, and and, and your descendants will be as vast as the stars of the heavens. Abraham had faith. He didn't do anything. He didn't bring anything to the table. He didn't have any works. He just believed. He trusted. He had faith in the promise and faithfulness of God. And then God counted it to him, made him righteous. Because of Abraham's faith, God considered him righteous. Abraham's faith, that was a saving faith. But years later, God had now given him his son, Isaac, and God tested Abraham. He was going to test his faith by telling him to go up to this mountain, the Mount Moriah, to sacrifice his son. And what does Abraham do? Does he question? Does he pause? No, it's, he, he immediately obeys God. No hesitation. He put his faith into action. So here James is saying that Abraham was justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar. Now here this word justified, that can mean a couple different things. It can mean um, to, to give justice. It can mean to declare righteous, like a judge bringing down the gavel and saying, you are right, guiltless. It could also mean to forgive a debt. And it can mean to to prove or to demonstrate that someone is righteous. And that's the meaning here of this this text. When, When James says that Abraham was justified by his works, Abraham's obedience or his works actually demonstrated his righteousness in saving faith. God had already declared him righteous. And then Abraham lived out that righteousness in obedience. He lived it out in faith. He put his faith on display. He took his very son to an altar and was was going to sacrifice him there. His works was evidence that he was righteous. I like what John Calvin writes. He says, man is not justified by faith alone. That is by a bare and empty knowledge of God. He is justified by works. That is his righteousness is known and proved by his fruits. Regarding this seemingly contradictory statements, we first first read um, um, between James and, and Paul at the beginning. Paul says that we are justified by faith apart from works. James says that we are justified by works and not by faith alone. Well, what what gives? How do how do we bring this seemingly contradiction together? Well, Paul, what, what he's doing, he's focusing on the on the time before salvation. James is is focusing on the time after salvation. See, see this this time. Boy, Paul is focusing before salvation. God is God considered Abraham righteous in Genesis fifteen. He was justified by by faith alone. Abraham, again, he he didn't bring anything to the table there. He didn't bring works. It wasn't works that that justified him. It wasn't works that made him right. It was God's good grace. It was his faith in the promises of God, and God declared him righteous. Now, James, on the other hand, again, he's focusing on the time after salvation. See, Abraham demonstrated that his his faith was genuine. And he truly was made righteous by obediently walking through the trial, trusting in, in God. His faith was active along with his faith, along with his faith and his works working together. The genuineness of his faith was proven, demonstrated by his works. So we see here the, in writing to the Galatian and Roman believers, what Paul is doing. He's fighting against a tradition-based faith that promoted a works-based salvation. That's not the issue that James is dealing with in this early church with these these young believers. James was fighting against this fruitlessness-based faith that promoted a a facade-based salvation. See, these were young new believers and they were going out into the world facing persecution. He said, hey, if you have genuine faith, it's going to show itself, even amidst trial. What about you? When the squeezing, when the heat comes, what bursts forth? Is there fruit? Faith and works are intertwined. They're like, in a sense, two wings of of a bird that flies, using both of his wings to soar through the air. James also gives another hero of the faith. Rahab was a prostitute, Canaanite. Joshua 2, we read that she lived in Jericho where the Israelites were prepared to destroy the, about the time when they were going to come in and, and, and bring Jericho down. She had heard the stories of, of God's incredible and, and mighty works. And she believed. She believed that God was the one true God. She acted upon her faith by hiding the spies. And she even let them out, helped them escape without being being noticed. It's a beautiful contrast here of people. We have here the the patriarch, Abraham, known as the friend of God alongside this prostitute, known as a woman of low esteem. Yet both, both of them fused faith and works they both show that genuine faith is evidenced by by works. Let me let me pause in just a minute. I want to talk to to all the parents out there with young children. I'm talking to myself as well. I mean, I have a young girl, Bethany, in sixth grade. See James' words to us here in this passage she should encourage us to be. To be patient and, and a bit cautious when it comes to the salvation of our children. When we see our children first begin to understand the gospel and take interest in, in the Word of God, I mean we we may be we may be seeing the first fruits of God's saving work in their life. Those first fruits of of faith. Yet yeah, there, there may be times when we we want to rush too quickly wanting to see our children children baptized your elders are working through this and we'll soon be kind of sharing some of our thoughts on this you know i feel this tension uh, personally real several years ago bethany came and and just humbly hey i, I really I want to I want to be a Christian. I want to be baptized. And we talked about it, and she shared. We asked her about the gospel, and she's been around church. She's heard the stories. She's been in our home. We've talked through the gospel, and she has a basic understanding of it. But we just felt like it needed some more time. We need more time to blossom and to give evidence of saving faith. I don't want to discourage her. I don't want to discourage her and say, hey, we just need to Wait. At the same time, I want to. So, so, what we do, we affirm her with, with great joy. Every aspect of God's renewing work in her life. Like Abraham and Rahab, the days will soon come when, when her faith and maybe the faith of your children, we pray, will be, will be tested. And, and, and this testing, it, I mean, it doesn't take away from, from their faith, it, it will only affirm it. It'll give evidence, it'll birth forth in works of righteousness. When we begin to see the fruitfulness, when I begin to see the fruitfulness in, in, in Bethany's life, with works associated with her faith, man, I'll know that faith is is alive. God is doing a work in her life and rejoice. And no longer will she be a daughter, she'll be a sister. And God is doing that work. So what do we do? We pray, we disciple, we trust in God's good work of salvation. You see, James is concerned about false hope in an actionless faith. He's telling these young Christians that genuine faith is evidenced by works. As parents, we too, and we want to be concerned about a false hope in, in an actionless faith. We don't want to just see our children get baptized at age five or six. It's so common today, only to later wonder, did I was that even real? I don't even know if I know what I was knowing about yeah. And then we see them baptized again, but praise God for those. Remember, salvation is a work of God. He alone saves. He alone gets the glory. So be patient. Focus upon being faithful and pouring the gospel into the lives and of your children. And, and then trust God to do what he does. And then see it evidenced, birthed out in work and deed. Indeed. And then, as you see the small evidence of grace, give praise to God and encourage your children to continue living out their faith. James brings us to his final piece of evidence as he makes his case. Enter Exhibit G, closing corpse, the closing corpse. Look at verse 26. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Now, James, he's getting pretty graphic here. It's if, as if he, before his audience, he, he rolls in the, the casket and there lay this body. And he says something like, do you see this body here that has no breath in it? When you take away the spirit from the body, you take away its life. The body apart from the spirit is dead. It's it's just a corpse. This picture, exactly. This is exactly what faith is apart from your works. If your faith has no part in works, if there's no demonstration of works resulting, evidenced by your faith, then your faith is dead. It's like a corpse. Jesus spoke about the importance of bearing fruit. There in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, Jesus says, so every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. You know, if, you, if your faith is genuine, you can be absolutely sure that it will be evidenced by works, by fruit. Every healthy tree bears good fruit. So what do we do? How do we respond to James's words here in this passage? Well, If you're a follower of Christ, I just want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to press on in in your faith. Paul says in Philippians 2.12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You and I are to work out, to display, to put on display the salvation of our faith with fear and with trembling. We are to continue walking in obedience. So let me encourage you. I'd I'd encourage you to read through the rest of, of the book of James. Be joyful in trial. Be generous in love. Guarded with your tongue. Reliant on God's wisdom. Be cautious against worldliness, ever dependent upon the Lord, patient in suffering, constant in prayer. Be a doer of the word. Continually put off the old self and, and seek to put on Christ. Die to self daily. Take up your cross and follow, pursue, go after Christ. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author, perfecter of your faith. Live for him. Bear fruit, abide in Christ, and let your fruit burst forth for the glory of his name. Live out the one another's of the word of God. As I mentioned last week, walk with one another in trials, be vulnerable and step into the brokenness and trials of others. Maybe you're here today and you would call yourself a Christian. You would claim, I am, yes, I'm a Christian. Yet if you were to be honest, you might look at your life and you would say, I... I say I have faith, but there's no evidence of works. My faith is really not evidenced by any works. There's little, if any, spiritual fruit in your life. Well, I, don't, I don't want to make you doubt or fear this morning. That's not, what I'm, that's not what James is doing. But I do want you to know for sure that, that you have the kind of, of saving faith that James is talking about, this genuine faith. He's talking about um, a faith that's lived out in works. Jesus Jesus also said, remember, Jesus is a tree without fruit. A a tree that has genuine faith is going to bear fruit. Those that that do not are going to be cut down and thrown into the fire. He's talking about a real future when, when all of us will stand before him who judges the living and the dead. And without without saving faith evidenced by works, God will cast those with a, with a workless faith. He will cast them from His presence to a real place called hell, where the full weight and wrath of His anger will will rest upon sinners eternally. If you don't have genuine faith evidenced by works, ah. I implore you, I implore you to turn to Christ. Even today, Jesus Christ went to a cross to bear the punishment of our sin and to give us the gift of eternal life. And to receive the gift of life, we turn from our sin and we trust, we place our faith in Christ alone. And when we turn and trust God as the only righteous judge, he brings down the gavel and he declares us righteous, not based upon what we've done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done. And then as a follower of Christ, we begin to live out what it means to to walk in newness of life. We begin to bear and see fruit evidenced in our life like a flame that naturally gives off heat. The believer naturally gives off works. I'll be down front at the end of the service, Brad and, Stephen, our staff, elders, we'd love to visit with you more about what it means to be a follower of Christ. Genuine faith is evidenced by works. Faith without works is dead, but faith with works is alive for the glory of God. Let's pray together. Father, we praise you that salvation is not based upon our performance or upon our works or accomplishments. It's based fully in the work of Christ on our behalf. At the same time, God, we praise you that our faith accomplishes much. Our our faith brings forth the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the praise and honor and glory of God. So God, fill us with your spirit that we might bear lasting fruit as we abide in Christ day by day. And may the world see our good works and glorify the God of heaven. We pray all these things in the matchless, strong name of Jesus. Amen.